Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. The combination of the holiday season and colder temperatures often serve as reminders of those in the community who did not have enough food or a warm place to stay. Several community organizations help those in need not only during this time, but all year long. Today on Noon Edition, we're speaking with leaders of some of these organizations about how they continue to provide resources to those in need and some of the challenges they face. The show is being pre-recorded because of the Thanksgiving holiday, so we can't take your phone calls or live chat comments, but we do hope that you'll tweet your comments about the show to at Noon Edition. We're going to be talking with uh, three guests in the studio and one by phone. Uh, Julio Alonzo is with us. Uh, Julio, all, all of our guests are return guests. Julio Alonzo is the executive director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Vicki Pierce is executive director of the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. And Forrest Gil- Gilmore is in the studio. He is the executive director of the Shalom Community Center. Also joining us by phone, and I don't think Patricia's been with us before, but Patricia Mac. McIntyre. She's the chair of the United Campus Ministries Board in Terre Haute. So thank you all for being here with us. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about, you know, what's going on this holiday season with, with people who are, are in need. So, Julia, I want to start with you. I know, you know, we, of course, we stay in contact all year long um, about all the needs in the community. But why is, uh, you know, is this season particularly special? Do you, do you raise more funds, more food? Is the need greater? You know, what's special about the holiday season? Well, there's a lot special about the holiday season, but uh, for those of us uh, in the, in this business, so to speak, it, it is a pretty important time of year uh, on a number of levels. Uh, to answer your first question, yes, we do see a lot more support coming through in the holidays. It's, it's just a time that people are a little bit more conscious that uh, they're thankful for what they have and want to give back to their to their community and aware that there are people out there who may not have as much as they do, and so they're um, they're just more conscious of it and more able and willing to to give and to get involved, whether it be volunteering or sending a financial donation or making a food donation. Mm-hmm. So that uh, that definitely upticks, and I think I can probably speak for all nonprofits when I say we really count on that. We really count on seeing a lot of support in the last six to eight weeks of the of the year. Uh, a lot of us bring in a lot of our revenue at that point that we hope will help sustain us into the the cold winter months of next year when people are not quite so conscious of, of uh, what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's important on that level. And then, uh, as I'm sure Vicki and, and um, Forrest will tell you, uh, it's important because a lot of agencies really kick it into gear too, and they're out there trying to provide holiday meals, holiday baskets, take care of, of people who don't necessarily have somewhere to go during the holidays and uh, would still like to enjoy that both that good food and that uh, community spirit. You know, I don't want to make any assumptions that all of our listeners know, you know, what the Hoosier Hills Food Bank is or does and how that is different from the Community Kitchen and the Shalom Community Center and, and the United Campus Ministries Board in Terre Haute. So, so, Julio, could you talk about what the Hoosier Hills Food Bank is all about? Absolutely. Uh, we're a little bit different than a lot of other uh, nonprofits. Um, I'm sitting here with two of my clients, actually. Um, our, our clients are other nonprofit agencies, for the most part. We do some direct service. We have a, a mobile food pantry that serves for rural communities. But for the most part, what we're doing is partnering with close to 100 nonprofit agencies in a six-county service area, uh, soup kitchens, food pantries, boys and girls clubs, senior centers. We go out in the community, collect the food that might otherwise be wasted, and raise it from all sorts of different sources, included purchases in our own garden uh, and farms. And then we make that food available for distribution to these partner agencies who are on the front lines serving uh, individual people in need. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Vic, you want you start with uh, the community kitchen and what, what you do, and then we'll go into some other 
issues. All right. The kitchen uh, is different than the food bank, although we do get confused um, a lot. Uh, at the kitchen, we really are the largest free meals provider in the community, so we're actually on that front line. We're providing dinner to anyone in need six days a week from two locations, no questions asked. And then we have specific outreach programs. We've decided several years back, the board decided they wanted to target those most vulnerable populations in the community. So we have specific programs for children and seniors and the chronically ill to get food out to them in the community where they already are. So that may be by backpacks on the weekend that the children will get a backpack of food from school that they'll take home for them and their families over the weekend. Could be after school sack lunch type meals or snacks to kids in Boys and Girls Clubs and Girls Inc. and places like that. Um, it could be us delivering breakfast and lunch to children in 11 low-income neighborhoods in the summer when they're out of school and don't have access to that nutrition. We also have a couple of small programs, home delivery to some seniors. Uh, it's a partnership with Area 10, where we provide food to folks that they didn't have funding for food for. Um, and then we also have a program with Positive Link from the hospital to serve some HIV positive folks in that same way. So, you know, we're just out there six days a week feeding anybody who comes to our doors and, and reaching out to those uh, more vulnerable populations where they are. And how many clients do you see? We see upwards of the conservative count is over 2,000 people, different people in a year. Uh, that is very conservative. Uh, the way we count people, we know in our children's programs how many people we're serving because we talk with those programs and we know how many individuals. We know how many people we're feeding at Martha's House, the homeless shelter, because they can tell us how many people were there. In our doors, we ask everybody to sign in but we don't check signatures every day. We ask them to each fill out a survey once a year. And so that's how we count the number of different individuals who come through our two facilities. And that's a drastic <laughs> undercount um, mm -hmm. because yeah. some folks don't want to do it, and that's fine. Uh, it's never a stipulation that they fill this out before they can get food. Uh, we want them to have the food. So at least 2,000 to 2,500 different individuals in a year. Okay. And uh, Forrest, the Shalom Community Center. Sure. We um, we provide uh, we're a resource center, daytime shelter, and provide a lot of uh, sources uh, resources for people who are uh, experiencing extreme poverty, in particular hunger and homelessness. So uh, everything from our hunger relief program um, to uh, housing program like Crawford Homes and a rapid rehousing program, uh, employment support, uh, case management, uh, and and the basics like showers and laundry and the things that people need, ID, mail, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And what kind of what kind of trends, and I should ask Vicki this too, I mean, what kind of trends have you been seeing? Are you seeing more clients than you have been? Has it been just steady? We're seeing, uh, uh, it's interesting, we're seeing in terms of homeless, uh, people who are homeless, we're seeing uh, the numbers have declined over the last several years slightly. Not, not as much as we'd hoped, but they've definitely been dropping. What we do see at this time of year is actually our client base is larger in the summer, believe it or not, because a lot of people come out from the cold and and, and aren't uh, shielded and stay in their homes. But we see a lot more crowding this time of year. So a lot of people are indoors, need that shelter space, and, and uh, need that protection um, mm -hmm. this time of year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Vicki, do you see, uh, I mean, are you seeing, what kind of trends are you seeing? You know, over the 10 years that I've been at the kitchen, the the most overarching trend for us besides that numbers do continue to climb is that we see a lot more families with children in our facilities than we used to. Used to be single individuals, a lot of single middle-aged men, um, and now it's unusual to not have children in our facilities in the evening. Um, our numbers have slowed down, which is great. We're, we're only up about three or four percent so far this year over last year, which is nice after record-setting years, eight or nine years in a row, you want that, you want to see that slow down. We'd like to believe it's because we're all out there getting to people, um, and there aren't just more and more of them in this dire situation. Mm -hmm. But I, but I, I want to just follow up on that because yep. you said your so your your increases are down, right? Yes. So you're still increasing. Yes. But it's just you're not increasing as as much. Absolutely, we served two hundred sixty-seven thousand five hundred fifty meals and snacks last year. We're probably going to hit between two seventy-five and two seventy-eight thousand this year, um, which for us is a nice moderate manageable increase. Uh, we don't need any more 15 and 20 percent jumps. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to give Patricia an opportunity to tell us about her organization. Welcome. You're on the phone from Terre Haute. Thank you very much. Yes, we are. United Campus Ministry of Terre Haute is new to the food distribution activity, and it has simply arisen out of 
both anecdotal and now statistical evidence that says students around the country are experiencing the same kinds of food insecurity that other people are experiencing. Um, in our area, we have five campuses, and within all of those campuses, there are numbers of students who are Pell Grant eligible, which means they come uh, statistically from poverty backgrounds. We have many more students who now are the first students in uh, the first members of their families ever to attend college. And they come with no preparation for how you live, how you learn, how you understand life on your own. They're taken out of their cultural context. And some of those students are second career. Sometimes they're divorced students. They're single heads of household. So they come not only with their own hunger, but they bring their children. And their children are also hungry. That evidence has been... Um, abroad for a long time this year we finally had the opportunity to do something about it and we have for, for just two weeks now we've only been open for two weeks but already we are persuaded that this is something that did need to be done and we are now uh, in ready to serve students uh, from any background who come to us and say that they or their children are hungry how are you getting the word out patricia uh, we have had wonderful cooperation from local media, both from television and from print media. We've also been working with representatives of each of the five campuses in our community so that they get the word out to their particular constituencies. And then um, with the cooperation between the campuses, we now also are starting to network a little bit so that um, we not only have food service going to students from those campuses, but other expressions of those campuses are starting to gather food and uh, bring it to us. So we are becoming a kind of a pass-through neighbor-to-neighbor agency. Now, Patricia, so are you strictly a food bank or do you also provide meals? Um, at the moment, we provide one meal a week as part of our um, regular programming for campus ministry. We've done that for many, many years, and so any student who is interested could always come on Wednesday night and get a hot meal and uh, have some conversation and some other activities. Some kind of recreational activity is always there on Wednesday night. Um, we are not yet set up to provide uh, meals to go, as it were, for uh, people who come into the pantry. What we have now is basically anything that you could make either in a microwave or an apartment kitchen. And that's uh, and because that's the facilities that most of the people who come in would have. Mm -hmm. So if it's a dorm, dorm microwave or an apartment with or without a refrigerator, we can give those people food enough to last them a few days and then um, help them find other resources. Mm -hmm. Okay, today's uh, noon edition was pre-recorded, so we're not able to take phone calls or live chat comments, but we still encourage you to get involved by tweeting at noon edition. We will retweet your comments based on today's show. We are talking with Julio Alonzo, the executive director of Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Vicki Pierce, the Executive Director of the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. Forrest Gilmore, the Executive Director of the Shalom Community Center. And you were just hearing the voice of Patricia McIntyre, the Chair of the United Campus Ministries Board in Terre Haute. Um, Julia, I know that your numbers uh, at the food bank have continued to rise. I mean, uh, the, the food bank's history is pretty amazing in terms of the uh, where it started and where it is now and the number of agencies that you distribute to. So, you know, have as Vicki was saying, her increases are down just a little bit. I mean, what are the numbers showing for you? Well, uh, funny you should ask, because I checked right before I left, just as it is. Um, so uh, through, through uh, yesterday, actually, we've distributed this year a little over 3.5 million pounds of food, and that puts us up 8% over uh, November 20th of last year. Um, still have six weeks to go, obviously. But this is already um, the second highest year in our history, so it's just a question of whether we'll pass last year's number or not, and, and it'll be another record. And if it is, I believe that'll be six out of the last seven years have been record years for us. So we've, we've gone up pretty significantly over time. 
Uh, I started nine years ago. We were distributing uh, about 1.6 million. Now we're distributing about 3.7 million pounds a year. Wow. wow. So uh, what would, to, to what do you attribute that? Is it the economy? Is, it, uh, is, is any of it maybe that people are just more aware of where they can get help? It's, uh, there are a couple of factors, I think, in our particular case. I can't speak for, for everyone. Um, one was, was definitely the economy. Uh, I came into the food bank just sort of right before the Great Recession uh, started. And once it did, you know, numbers went through the roof in terms of demand um, at all the agencies we were working with. Um, but we've also worked really hard to build our capacity and to build our our name recognition, our brand, so to speak, so that people know what we do and know that they can support us and support other agencies by helping us. And this year, uh, in particular, I'm, I'm really happy to say that for, for once, part of what's driving uh, the increase in our poundage is a proactive effort to distribute more fresh produce. Uh, we've really made uh, a significant effort to do that the last several years. Uh, we've gotten some grants to get the equipment necessary to do that, to get some money for purchasing to do that, to add some staff to do that. And uh, we're, our fresh produce distribution this year so far is up 29%, and that's really helping to drive uh, our numbers as well. You need infrastructure to keep fresh things on hand, though. Have you had to upgrade refrigeration and... You absolutely do, and that uh, that was one of the ways we got started with this. The Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County was kind enough to give us a grant to add a new uh, cooler, so we doubled our refrigerated cooler space in mm. 2012. Uh, prior to that, we, were, we weren't able to access as much fresh produce as we could. We had to turn down uh, loads at, at times because we just couldn't store it, um, store it all safely. Mm. So that was the first step, and then some other grants, some fundraising efforts uh, got us the ability to do more purchasing, we're able to access a lot of fresh produce by paying what they call VAP, value-added processing costs. It's quote-unquote donated product, but you have to pay the, the farmer or whoever for, for picking it or for bagging it or whatever, mm -hmm. and then, um, then obviously for transportation as well. So you, you get it for pennies on the pound, but there's still a, a cost involved. And then again, this year, thanks again to the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County, we were able to start the garden route on wheels or grow uh, with the purchase of another van. And what we realized was that a lot of our agencies here in Monroe County, a lot of the smaller agencies, were not able to access the fresh produce we had because uh, they, they simply couldn't come to the food bank very frequently. Um, uh, Shalom Center, Community Kitchen, Mother Hubbard's, these are large enough agencies where we're making regular deliveries there, um, mm -hmm. in some cases on a daily basis, if not a couple times a week. Smaller agencies like Area 10, uh, Salvation Army, uh, Crawford Homes, um, were not going there on a regular basis, and they didn't have the staff or the capacity to come to the food bank. So if we got great product in on Tuesday and they were here on Monday, they missed out. So now we're delivering um, to uh, about 14 agencies in Monroe County uh, produce on a regular basis and those numbers have been spectacular the produce distribution of those agencies is up over 800 percent Wow it sounds like and Vicki and I talked about this a little bit before the show but to get that amount of food distributed takes a lot of man hours as well how heavily do you Julia rely on volunteers to do the work of the food bank and then I want to ask everybody the same question about volunteer hours uh, well, I'm sure these guys will tell you the, the same thing. There, it, volunteers are absolutely essential. Uh, we have a staff of 14 at the food bank, and we supplement that with about 3,000 volunteers over the course of the year. Uh, there's absolutely no way that we could move over seven tons of food a day without that volunteer support, so it's really critical. Mm -hmm. Vicki? Well, first I want to say we always want to see Julio's numbers rise um, because my numbers and Forrest's numbers are absolutely a direct result of the demand. His is a direct result of the supply. So mm -hmm. we want to see his keep coming up so that we, we get the food that we need. Um, volunteers absolutely are, are the lifeblood of what we do. We use over 100 volunteers a week at this time of year, over 120 in the summer, um, you know, just year round and then that's you know in addition to that we have we have a couple of groups that come in and volunteer that aren't even counted in those numbers that will bring anywhere from three to ten people to take bulk snack items and package them up into small individual sizes that we hand out to kids and so it's absolutely we have folks doing everything from prepping food to helping deliver food in the summer uh, to helping pack up the backpacks and and work on special projects that just they are essential to what we do Great. 
Yeah, likewise, just uh, I think we had something like 1,300 volunteers last year, and we have 16 staff right now, and so that's, I mean, just a huge ratio. They really help us make make the the center work and all the various programs work. It would be not possible, just as as Vicky and Julia were talking about, without volunteer support. It's so so important and so essential. Patricia, do you have a, a dedicated group of volunteers that keeps your program running? We do it in that regard. We're fortunate because as a faith-based group, uh, all of our people are volunteer except for a few staff. Uh, we have students active on the steering committee for the food bank, students actually staffing the desk at the food bank. But beyond that, in there are probably about 50 uh, congregations around the Wabash Valley who have their own volunteers in place who run the uh, campaigns to collect food and to uh, help us with publicity and do those things. Those are people who are off-site, mm -hmm. but we know they're there and we know they're working because the food starts to appear and, you know, the telephone will ring and, and the congregation in one of the suburban towns has a, a cartload of food for us and they drop it off and uh, all the only person we see is the one who drives the station wagon of food up here to mm -hmm, us. Mm -hmm. But we know absolutely that they are out there and that they are working all the time. So I would say our network of volunteers probably reaches well into the hundreds of people. Great. Now, your three organizations are not faith-based, but you see a lot of volunteers from the faith community and a lot of support in various ways. Forrest? Yeah, absolutely. The faith community really comes out um, to uh, just express their particular faith values and, and working with the poor, working with the hunger, hungry, working with the homeless. It's a huge part of uh, what we do, and I know uh, what my colleagues here do uh, to just try and make um, this work. It's one of the most beautiful things I love about my work is that I get to work with people across the theological spectrum. Mm -hmm. And and just to see them all working together, uh, all of us working together to uh, help those in need is it's it's beautiful. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the same thing. We've got we've got uh, congregations that will come on a regular basis. They may come once. They may do food collection. Um, but it's great. And and I'll echo what Forrest said. He and I actually both come from a ministry background. And one of the things I love most about my job is that it is wide open. Um, and you know we have every religion there is here in Bloomington and we get just about some representation of just about all of those folks and it's great to watch them stand alongside each other you know working on a salad or serving dinner it could be people who are you know doing um, work back for the trustee assistance that they got for their rent it could be someone who had a minor offense and has to do community service it could be a student it could be some you know sweetest little church lady in the world in her 80s um, you know and they're all standing alongside each other having a great time and these are people who would not meet each other otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's one of the most, it's one of the things we don't talk about uh, very often, but it's one of the most, my most favorite parts as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would have to completely agree. And in fact, I've, I've used that, that um, imagery in, in several of the, the talks that I've given, um, just the, the wide range of, of people that are willing to volunteer um, and, and help us out both directly at the food bank and with the, the many agencies that we support. A lot of the agencies we support are, are, are volunteer-run or supported largely by volunteers. And you see these folks come to the food bank to, uh, to get the food to take back to their, um, their communities and their organizations to distribute. And, you know, at one end of the room, you could have a hunched over old man who probably stormed the beaches at Normandy, literally. Uh, and then on the other side of the room, uh, you know, you've got a 20 year old with a, a nose piercing and blue hair um, and, and they're, they're, do, they're doing the same thing. They're uh, in some cases filling up their personal vehicle with food to take back to their church or to their pantry and distribute to their neighbors. And it's a really great thing. Julio, at this time of year, uh, many of us, as we're out and about, will see giant, sometimes gift-wrapped boxes that are collecting food. Uh, how effective is that for you? And do you look forward to those donations, uh, you know, a and count on those every year? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, this is a really big time of year for us in terms of food drives. Um, it's the time of year about the beginning of November. We set up a big 
uh, dry erase board with all the food drives that are going uh, on, and there are a lot of calls coming in from churches, from businesses, from student groups, uh, from organizations across the community that are conducting food drives, and that becomes a sort of cottage industry for its it, uh, for us in, in and of itself is, is uh, getting those barrels dropped off, mm-hmm. getting them picked up, and coordinating all of that. So it's uh, it's really helpful to have that food coming in now. Now, do you? Uh Vicki and Forrest, do you rely on the food bank to do all that kind of food drive so you don't have to do that? You get your food through them. That is correct. Actually, you know, if somebody calls us and says, we want to do a food drive for your organization or for for us, it's usually for Backpack Buddies. Great. That's fabulous. But folks will come and say, hey, how come you're not going to my kid's school and asking them to do a food drive? Mm -hmm. And we always Mm -hmm. say, because that's the food bank. That's what they do. They do it well. They've got the infrastructure and the barrels to do it. Uh, They've got the people to pick it up. And we just want to know when it's coming into the food bank so we can be there the next day and and sort through it and get what works for us. Forrest and Patricia, I want to ask you guys, people who are experiencing food insecurity are probably more often than not experiencing other kinds of insecurities in their lives. Do your organizations, and and Patricia, I'll let you go first on this, do your organizations uh, make an effort to fill any of the other voids? And I'm thinking in terms of personal care items and uh, just very simple, basic things along those lines. Yes, we do. In uh, in addition to the food, we also have a a fairly good range of personal items, including laundry soap, Mm. because that's expensive, and that's another thing that students do not always have. Um, we have been very fortunate in the uh, the secular, the business community in Terre Haute, uh, because we are an ecumenical ministry and do not answer to one specific denomination or theology. We have gotten uh, admirable support from the secular business community in terms of uh, helping us find the kinds of personal care items that we need, at either for free or at very low cost. And those are things that students are as grateful for as the food. Um, We are looking to expand to a ministry that we sort of already had going, but we're going to tie it into the food bank more, and that is uh, emergency care items. Um, And that could be uh, Band-Aids and, you know, aspirin, anything like that, but also... There are times when a student is about ready to graduate and has a job interview and cannot afford a necktie to go to a job interview or cannot afford uh, the kind of uh, things that you need to have to present yourself professionally to a prospective employer. We have always had that in mind. We've always done that sort of thing, but we are now fortunately in the uh, position to be able to expand that stuff too. And that, along with counseling and referral to other services, um, gives us a pretty good opportunity to at least address whatever problem a student comes into the food pantry with and either address it there or refer them to somebody competent to address it with them. Wow. Forrest, I'm going to ask you to uh, just hold your thoughts for a minute because we're going to have to take a short break. So uh, we're uh, you're listening to Noon Edition, and we are being pre- we are pre-recorded today, so you can't give us a call. But we're talking about uh, food insecurity and homelessness and a variety of issues. You'll see a lot of people collecting money and donations this time of year, and there's a lot of generosity this time of year. So we thought we would do a program based on that topic. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news.
Welcome back to our uh, holiday version, our pre-recorded version of Noon Edition today. We are talking with um, three guests here in the studio and one guest by phone, uh, Julio Alonzo, the executive director of the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, Vicki Pierce, the executive director of the Community Kitchen of Monroe County, Forrest Gilmore, the executive director of the Shalom Community Center here in Bloomington, and Patricia McIntyre, who is the chair of the United Campus Ministries Board in Terre Haute. Uh, Mary Catherine Carmichael's here. I'm Bob Salzberg, and this is a pre-recorded program, so unfortunately you can't give us a call. But if you want to... Uh, tweet, you can send anything you want to uh, at Noon Edition, preferably, preferably about this show, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, the information will be retweeted, and um, you can still have a discussion about it. Forrest, we were talking uh, before the break uh, with Patricia about a lot of the services that are offered to people that they see, and I know, you know, I want, I, I know the Shalom Community Center is, uh, you know, you have a, a whole range of services you provide for people. So, uh, to Mary Catherine's question, you know, what are the kinds of things that, that you do at the center? Some of the more immediate things are uh, just in reference to what we we're just talking about in terms of uh, just basic hygiene. One of the things that people think. Uh, about one of the stereotypes about people who are homeless is they don't want to be clean, and we can't get enough things to help support uh, people in their cleanliness. Shampoo, razors, uh, deodorant, um, feminine hygiene products, diapers, towels for laundry soap, those kinds of things Mm -hmm. are so important. And, of course, right now uh, coats and uh, hats and gloves are just huge for people, and and boots are really important. Um, but l- the larger, you know, the larger thing we want is, you know, everybody wants to be home for the holidays. And so that's the bigger issue in terms of our center is really, really want to get people into homes and move them into homes. And so taking those and that's year round. That's that's all mm-hmm. all year round trying to uh, to deal with that issue right now. There's about 300 and uh, about 300 or so people in blooming in, in Bloomington who are homeless right now. About half of those are families with dependent children. Uh, and about 45 or 50 of those are, are people with, dis- uh, with disabilities. And so we're dedicated with our larger services, employment and housing, as well as those emergency needs to, um, to really end. We, you know, we don't believe that anyone should be homeless who's disabled. We don't believe a family with children should ever be homeless. We don't believe a veteran should ever be homeless. And so we're really committed to, uh, to that now uh, and, and year-round to ending that. Now, uh, Patricia was talking about um, students who are getting ready for a job interview, and I know that you do a lot of employment counseling and things of that nature. Do you get into the same kind of thing where you might be able to get somebody fitted with a tie or something if they've got an interview that they're going on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you can imagine, the biggest uh, demand and need is is those emergency clothing to keep people warm and safe, but we also – uh, work with that kind of basic that basic business attire to help people with that as they go out um, doing interviews. We try to help people, coach them to do interviews, cho- coach them to improve their resume, do those job searches, and that kind of that kind of support. Now, if people have warm things, I assume uh, everything from sleeping bags to coats to s- scarves and hats and boots and all. Right. Do you do you get your things from another agency or do you directly uh, accept contributions? And, and uh, Patricia, I'd ask you the same question, but, but do you accept things at the Shalom Center? We sure do. I mean, again, I think it was wonderfully emphasized earlier about, about relying on Hoosier Hills Food Bank for our food uh, resources because they are so fantastic. And I love that partnership, uh, as well as a partnership with Community Kitchen and really covering the food needs on, on clothing and, and things of that sort. We really rely on people donating directly to us, and uh, they can bring uh, those things in any time between 8 and 4, Monday through Friday, uh, or by special appointment if they want to give us a call. But yes, absolutely. All the, all the cold weather gear you could think of right now is what we're in need of, socks, uh, jackets, uh, uh, hats, gloves, sleeping bags, like you said, all those kinds of things, blankets, uh, are very important and essential right now. Okay. And um, Patricia, do you accept direct contributions of those kinds of items, and, and do you have students who are in need of those kinds of things? There are students in need. We do have, a, have the facilities to uh, handle clothing, but what we do have 
is some excellent partner agencies around town, the Salvation Army, Covenant Cooperative Ministries, uh, several of the local church congregations. And uh, any student who comes in and does need that or needs it for a child is referred immediately to a competent agency whom we know can provide that assistance immediately. Now, if they go to the Salvation Army, do they have to pay for what they get from them, or, or can you give them a voucher that they can get what they need at no cost? Um, we can't give them a voucher, but we could probably give them the cash oh. and uh, and let them do that. We can we can organize with Salvation Army and find out how much the bill is going to be and cover that out of emergency funds. But more often than not, we can send them to another uh, agency like Covenant Cooperative Ministries or like one of the church congregations where they can go in and get that and get it immediately. And the other one in town here, too, is Catholic Charities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catholic Charities provides some wonderful services like that for people. So as as we all you know, march through winter together, we learn very quickly who has what on a given week and where we can send people to uh, get, you know, a hat or boots or any of the other things we talked about that uh, keep them safe and keep them warm. For students, it's not so much an issue uh, because they will bring things to campus with them and share. For their children, it's an issue because children uh, just insistently outgrow whatever they have. <laughs> and so that it is replacement for that kind of thing that is more in line with what we see this time of year. Now, do you have students who are experiencing homelessness? There are students who have, yes. There are students who find themselves living in their car uh, or someplace else. And uh, because students by nature are a transient community, they are very good at helping one another, and they're very good at finding places for each other and finding help for each other. But yes, there are homeless students, and uh, we are, whenever we know that for sure, we try to contact the uh, schools and the, the particular offices within the school that that student is attending that can provide help. I mean, we have a really good backup system because each one of these campuses has some kind of student life office that is in the business of solving that kind of problem, particularly with housing. Yes, that's, that's what I wondered. What at what you know what responsibility the individual universities have for their students? For the students who are enrolled there, they for the ones who are uh, in residence on the campuses, they are entirely committed. But uh, you know, the uh, significant number of students on all five of the campuses are commuters, mm. and those commuters do fall into a different category of concern um, because they are not buying those services from the institution they're attending. Uh, they and they are not at the time of their enrollment. They're not asking for the kinds of services that come with a housing contract and that sort of thing. Sure. So those students who are more likely to end up. Um, with at least even just short-term homelessness because, um, you know, you start the school year with three roommates in a small place and then one of the roommates drops out and there goes a third of the money and by the end of the semester you can't make your rent anymore and you're out on the street. So, Mm -hmm. um, and these things happen uh, quickly with students. They tend to reach the crisis before students ever complain about them. So there's a lot of sort of putting out of uh, social fires mm-hmm. with a younger population that you wouldn't have with a with a long-term homeless population in a major city. Mm-hmm. So you've got over there, you've got Rose Holman, ISU, mm-hmm. Ivy Tech, I assume. Who else? Uh, Rose, ISU, Ivy Tech, Harrison College, and St. Mary of the Woods College. Oh, yes. Okay, great. Thank you. I was so, having a hard time putting the five together. I appreciate you doing hi. that for me. Well, I, well, and uh, of the three uh, that are the most vulnerable, and that is ISU, Ivy, and Harrison, um, they are the ones who are have been most clear and most careful about uh, helping us build this system. As far as Rose and St. Mary the Woods goes, they've been wonderful at starting to say, how can we help? 
because they tend to be a little more prosperous. Not so much St. Mary of the Woods anymore, but Rose is certainly the most prosperous of the campuses in the Valley. And, you know, their fraternities, their sororities, their uh, offices of student life have just been grand about saying, if, if we're not sending you clients, we can at least send you volunteers. Wow, that's great. Nice cooperation. I think we've been learning a lot of things today. I mean, I, you know, the fact that there, you have a lot of uh, students in Terre Haute, and I'm sure it's probably the same in Bloomington, that, that are either need uh, food or need a place to stay. And, you know, Forrest, you mentioned the stereotype of people who are, you know, who are in a homeless situation uh, before. And I, I just wanted to ask all three of you to talk about, you know, the people who you serve. And, and, I, and I know... Julio, you know, I know you don't serve directly, but you have contact with a whole lot of different agencies that serve people, and I'm sure there are a lot of stereotypes, a lot of misconceptions about the people that you're seeing. And, and for someone to start with you about, you know, you deal with this all the time, where people are, you know, they have a, 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 an idea, perspective about somebody who's homeless, and you see a whole range of people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have we have a, a a PhD who's homeless, so we see the whole the whole gamut. About forty percent of people who are homeless are working. We talked about about fifty percent are families. A uh, good ten to fifteen percent or more are disabled, and long term homeless. So, so the the spectrum is very wide. And and I, and I I think the the most power though is beyond statistics. It's actually um, meeting the person face to face and kind of hearing their story. Um, you know, we've known people who um, are many, um, have been, you know, experienced enormous uh, prejudice and, and maltreatment on the streets for how they look or how they act. or the, and, and when you get into their story, you find out that they had um, massive child abuse in their, you know, uh, sexual abuse, all kinds of horrible, horrible things in their history and past that... Um, on top of poverty and the and the experiences of hunger and homelessness, and so, when you see and touch that story um, of an individual, the experience just explodes and takes on a whole new mm-hmm. um, context. Because that's ultimately what it's about: it's human to human, person to person, just having that relationship and working with people where they are. Mm-hmm. Vicky, and I know you know one of the areas I'm sure you're going to talk about is families and mm-hmm. the kids that you see. One of the things that people tend to think about us because we're a soup kitchen is that you know that our general client is is the homeless population I mean that's that's who we're serving that's what people assume when the reality is last year only 18% of the people we served said they had experienced homelessness sometime in the in the previous six months what's actually true is that over 54% of the people we served last year were kids all of those kids aren't coming into our doors. Obviously, they're they're recipients of our outreach programs, but that's a big um, a big portion of the people we see. Of all the people we serve, 16% last year were seniors. Um, and so, what will happen if you come into our dining room is that you'll see a huge percentage of our population are seniors because they're 16% of our total population, but they're a much larger population, a percentage of the population we see in our dining room in the evening. For those folks, they're we are part of their best plan. There is no improvement. You know, they're on a very limited income. It's very fixed. It's not going to increase. Um, they've got medications. They've got rent. They've got these other things to take care of. And eating with us is the most best financial and social plan for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not locked, you know, in their homes away. They can still get out. This is their social um, atmosphere as well. And as I've said, you know, we've continued to see more and more families with kids, so much so that when we built our facility three years ago, we created a family dining room. Um, it is attached to the dining room. It's not separate and far removed. It's open to the dining room, but there are signs that say only families with children. Um, And because we want families with kids who have to come into our facility, it's a very welcoming and comfortable place, but it's intimidating. If you've never been to a place like this before, it's very intimidating to walk in. And if you're bringing your kids with you, it adds a whole extra layer of all kinds of emotion. And so we want, when folks come in, we want them to be able to sit around a round table and not at an eight-foot banquet table with strangers that they don't want, sit around a round table and be able to share the meal, talk about the day with their children who are school age and, you know, how is school going and and be able to sit in, in chairs and tables that are sized for kids, that are more comfortable for the kids and, and have that experience. And so that's become very, very important to us. Um, 
And have it turn in. I remember when you were building the facility, we talked about have it be more like a restaurant experience Absolutely. for the children as opposed to a, you know, a, a, a shameful or painful or awkward experience. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've heard me tell the story about in the old facility when a family walked in the door and stood at the back of the dining room and looked around for a minute and then walked back out. And I thought, this is not right. So I hustled out the door and said, is everything okay? And they said, there's really no place for us to all sit together. And I said, and they were going to leave. <laughs> Come back in. I can fix that. Mm-hmm. You know, and go up to a couple of, of folks that we know well and say, hey, would you mind moving over here so this family could eat together? But that's what we were seeing. Families would come in. If it happened to be two adults and two kids, they'd split. You know, one would mm-hmm. sit with one kid on this side of the dining room and they would sit on that side. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, they're getting the food they need. And that's that's the most critical point. But when we created this facility and we had the room to create that space, we wanted to preserve some of that family atmosphere that, you know, I appreciate around the the dinner table with my kids in the evening and just having that conversation in a more private space. Yeah, good job. we most find uh, are fighting against in terms of images is the notion of the traditional student, the 18 to 24 Eurocentric, prosperous youngster who comes to college. That is not the case anymore. Many students are, are returning students. They have Young children, they're divorced. Uh, Some are veterans who are coming on the GI Bill and bringing with them a whole range of problems that that are new to academia. Um, All of these things are are radically altering the way that the student population looks and the way it behaves. There is no coherent culture. There is no coherent uh, set of normative driving principles anymore. And because of that, the students who come and find themselves in, pro- in any kind of distress are more likely to fall through the cracks simply because the old ways of doing things were known ways of doing things, and if you had a problem, you knew to whom to address that problem. Students don't now, and uh, that's why we are having to really develop a new paradigm in determining how we define a student and what that student is bringing to campus in terms of skills and what needs that student will face without knowing it on the day he or she arrives at school. Mm -hmm. Patricia, you mentioned the excellent support that you get from the faith community in the Valley. Uh, What about, are you you a recipient of any United Way funds or do you get assistance from any, any other agency that you're able to pass along? Uh, we get wonderful assistance from local grocers and from uh, other local companies who do everything from helping us stuff and fold newsletters to raise money and get publicity out to uh, donating food or donating time or helping with transportation. We're not directly a United Way agency. However, uh, United Way does have a low-cost produce van that they park around town, and on the days that our food bank is open at United Campus Ministry, the United Way van parks in our parking lot. So (laughs) anyone coming to our pantry also has the possibility of buying for a much reduced price fresh vegetables and fruits. So between the two, between the United Way van and our pantry, we could offer a pretty decent nutrition to anybody who comes in. Does, um, and forgive my ignorance, but, but does Terre Haute have a, a municipal bus system? Uh, a very limited one. It is here, but it's very limited. Uh-huh. Are you able to offer, I know, um, you know, as students are kind of known for having old old cars that require a lot of attention, uh, is that an issue that, that you find yourself dealing with um, in Terre Haute, and are you able to offer them any assistance with with transportation issues? We have not had much demand for it yet. Uh, I think that probably as winter goes on, we will probably have to do something like that because uh, two of the campuses are at some distance from our pantry, Mm. and that's going to require some shuffling back and forth. Uh, as I say, we're re- we're still relatively new at this. This will be the first full winter that we'll be doing it. So I suspect we will uh, have to move beyond the bus system and uh, do some parting of our own at some point. But there again, 
that's where, you know, the kids who are um, in the fraternities at some of these colleges who have uh, public service commitments, they are just fabulous at helping with that kind of thing. They know how to drive cars, and they have good, reliable cars, and they're more than happy to be uh, extensions of us out into the community. We have about uh, three minutes to go, and I want to ask uh, Julio first, then sort of go around the panel. I mean, the, the rhythms of the year sort of change this time of year. I mean, it's the holiday season, so how does it change for you? And then please tell our listeners, what, what's your biggest need this time of year? Sure. Well, um, sort of bringing it back to, to where we started, one of the things I like about this uh, time of year is that uh, we see people perhaps being a little bit less judgmental. Um, <laughs> And a little more, a little more giving. And would that that happened all year long, uh, we wouldn't have some of these stereotypes to deal with in terms of, of the people that we are are trying to serve. Um, it ramps up for us, obviously, for the um, the reasons I talked about earlier, both in terms of trying to get more food out to these agencies who are. Uh, trying to serve more people as it gets colder and as there are holiday meals to prepare and things like that, uh, but also in terms of, of the giving. So um, there's a lot more activity at the food bank these mm-hmm. these couple of months um, preceding the end of the year, uh, and then we build up for our, our year-end inventory and the end of our fiscal year and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a pretty... Um, pretty hectic time of year, but it's also a, a very good time of year. Okay, two minutes, Vicky. Biggest need? Our biggest need, honestly, is well, I'd have to say I have to say two. I have to say food okay. and cash. Sure. Um, <laughs> because as you know, we build up at the end of the year, and that's what carries us through till the, the beginning of next year. But food continues to be an issue for us, vegetables in particular. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you're I, just quickly your volunteer base. Mm-hmm. I know you talked before the show about how. Around the holidays, you actually sometimes get more volunteers. Absolutely. Uh, Thanksgiving is the most popular day of the year to volunteer. Instead of using 15 people, we use 40, and we still turn away three times that many. Um, And Christmas is like that as well. So you can have volunteers all year. Absolutely. Okay. Forrest, one minute, and you get half of it, 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Just to echo what they said, obviously uh, financial donations are great because we can really leverage those to the most effective needs for clients. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... Of course, right now, uh, the cold weather stuff, so hats, gloves, uh, jackets, coats, uh, boots, socks, long underwear, sleeping bags, blankets, Mm -hmm. those kind of things are really big. And and again, volunteers year-round, we want those long-time committed volunteers because they make the most impact. And Patricia, 20 seconds. Awareness. Awareness. If you see the student and you don't know whether that student has a place to go for Thanksgiving or Christmas, ask them. Mm-hmm. And if they are not going anywhere, invite them into your home. You will not regret it. All right. Thank you very much. That was Patricia McIntyre, chair of the United Campus Ministries Board in Terre Haute. Uh, thanks also to Julio Alonzo, Vicki Pearson, Forrest Gilmore for being here with us today, for Mary Catherine Carmichael, Lacey Scarmana, our producer and engineer, Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined. Addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu.